just a fair warning, disclaimer, if you will. You, some of you might not like this homily, what I'm about to say, but that's okay. I'm not called to be liked. I'm called to give you the truth. And in the gospel today, I find one of the most helpful passages in the New Testament. I mean, the whole New Testament's helpful. The Bible, the whole Bible's helpful. But this one is very particular because you have Jesus, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, God incarnate, telling us these two essential things about life. Two things about life that are true. We believe he's God, so he's telling us truth. And they're very important things. The first one is this. Good and evil will coexist in this life. The weeds and the wheat, good and evil, they're going to live, they're going to exist side by side. Why? I don't know. That's above my pay grade. That's up to God. You can take it up with him. But he's just making it clear to us. Second, there is a real enemy to human nature. Not some fictitious thing. There is a real enemy to human nature. The enemy is often referred to by two prominent names. We call him the devil or Satan. And I think I've told you this in the past, but just a quick review. Devil, diabolos in Greek, comes from two words, dia, belain. These two words, dia means apart, and belain means to tear or throw or rip. So the devil's name means he causes division. He tears things apart. Wherever you see division, you see the devil. This is very important, too, because... The, the devil is an angel, a fallen angel, albeit, but he's an angel. And in angelology, which is an actual discipline within the church, the study of angels, angelology, angel in Greek means messenger. That's all it means. But when an angel is given a title, a name, it signifies what it does. So the example, the archangel Raphael in the Old Testament. Do you remember what Raphael did? Anybody? Just raise your hand. He's a healer, right? He heals Tobit in the Old Testament. Raphael means God heals. His name signifies what he does. That's why the devil, Diabolos, now signifies what he does. He causes division. Where? Everywhere. In your marriage. Now, you can't just say to your spouse, the devil made me do it, right? You did it. He tempted you, but you did it. We see it within our country. We see it in, the, in parishes. We see it in ourselves. People get so into sin, they literally are fragmented. We call that multiple personality disorder or full-on demonic possession. He tears things apart. He divides, he divides us based on race. He divides us based on gender. And division is everywhere right now. The devil is having a heyday in our culture. But his name also is Satan. And Satanas in Greek means the accuser. The, en the enemy of human nature loves to accuse. First, he loves to accuse God and try to deceive you and me that God isn't a loving father, but a cruel tyrant trying to ruin your good time. And at best, he's an observer of our lives way out there. He doesn't actually work in our lives. But he also loves to accuse us. He loves to dredge up out of our past memories those terrible decisions we made and hold them before us and say, God could never love you. Look at what you've done. 
Why even try? You see, the devil, he's our greatest cheerleader when he wants us to sin. And you can feel it inside of you, like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And I'm like, I'm not supposed to do it, do it, do it. And then you do it, and he turns and he's like, you loser. You're terrible. God could never love you. Why even try to be better? You're never going to be better. All you do is fall with this same stupid sin. But it's important to understand what Jesus is telling us today. This sower of evil, he's not a rival God. He's a creature. Even the parable set up like this. If you listen to it, right? God is the landowner. And the land that he owns, remember Jesus, what does he say the land is? The what? The world. So the landowner is God. He owns the world. He puts all this beauty into the world. And then this little punk comes in and ruins everything. C.S. Lewis, the great English author, said that the devil has two strategies. The first one is to deceive us into thinking that he's more powerful than he is. He's essentially weak, you guys. The devil's only power is what you give him. And we give him power through fear. And second, the devil's second strategy is to deceive us into thinking he's not real. Because if you don't think he's real, he's free to work on you as much as he wants. But Jesus today makes it abundantly clear that he is real. And he has one goal. To destroy you. He hates you. Because he hates God. And God loves you. So how does he do it? Well, he does it in many ways. But I want to focus on just one this morning. So we call him the devil. We call him Satan. Jesus, later on in John's gospel, calls him the father of lies. He is the great deceiver. And one of the lies the enemy has diffused throughout our race. Which has been overwhelmingly embraced by our culture is his lie about sexuality. I've been praying on this a lot, and I'm begging Jesus to show me how to overcome this. Especially this attack, especially on our young people. Because we have swallowed hook, line, and sinker the lie from hell. And it is from hell that sex is only about pleasure. And so long as it's between consenting adults, everything and anything is okay. And the reason I'm thinking about this is because this week, July 25th, Tuesday, we will commemorate the 55th anniversary of an encyclical published by Pope Paul VI in 1968 called Humane Vitae. Humane Vitae was one of the most dissented to teachings in the history of the church. You know what that means? Nobody followed it. Everybody turned on the Pope. And whenever you talk about this stuff, people turn on you. Because the whole culture and church Christians at large have agreed with the devil's lie. This letter that the Pope wrote was simply a reaffirmation of what the church had taught. And not just the Catholic Church. All Christians, Luther, Calvin, every reformer, every Christian believed this for 1900 years. And it was simply this. That contraception is an action which is contrary to the genuine love between husband and wife. And this is clearly rooted in the teachings of Jesus. And it is made manifest on the cross. The cross 
is our greatest symbol of love. What is he doing there? He is giving a total gift of himself. The very thing that contraception does not do. Therefore, it is not a loving act. But we as Christians, Catholics, Protestants alike, overwhelmingly are using contraception. Overwhelmingly. And think it's just fine. We hold back the most amazing gift that God has given to us humans, which is the ability to create with Him. And we do it in the name of all types of stuff. Materialism, consumerism, my choice, my rights. And it destroys the dignity of human life. Pope Paul VI warned us in 1968. Listen, in 1968, he made four predictions. He said, if we keep going down this road of treating sex as just another act used just for pleasure, four things will happen. Number one, you will see an increase in infidelity within marriage. Two, there will be a general lowering of morality and moral standards, especially among young people. Three, men would continue to be more greatly degrade and objectify and belittle women and see them simply as an object for pleasure. Four, governments would begin to use contraception to control populations. You would be pretty hard to argue that those four things have not happened. And not just happened, but happened overwhelmingly. Each passing day, the standard of morality amongst our youth lowers. Each passing day, the problems within marriage, the divorce rate, and infidelity goes up. The exploitation and denigration of women through the evil of pornography is increasing at an alarming rate. You don't believe me? Just go home and check. Just, just Google percentage of people that look at or are addicted to pornography. It's incredible. Jesus tells us that you will judge a tree by its fruit. And the fruits of the sexual revolution the past 50 or 60 years, after we said contraception is a good thing, are rotten to the core. The lie of the enemy has been, if you just throw off all these old-fashioned, out-of-touch restraints, you would be free. Fact is, is millions of men and women are addicted to their passions. They're slaves. Marriage and family are in crisis. Women are more and more reduced to mere objects for pleasure. And what is most incredible to me is nobody really seems that dang happy. This was supposed to free us. This was supposed to make us happy. I talked to a number of doctors who overwhelmingly agree the number one passed on sexually transmitted disease to young women, you ready for this, is depression. They all agree across the board. And yet, parents are just rolling with it. Getting their young girls on contraceptions before they get pregnant. Because God forbid you actually live the life of a Christian and live chastity. Oh my gosh, you're not capable of that. What does that say to your kid? It's killing us. We're dying. You want to know why the homosexual culture is so pervasive? Why transgenderism is everywhere? Because when you break apart the sexual act and say, Oh no, you can have pleasure without life. What is the one thing that the homosexual culture can't do, that the transgender culture can't do? Life! But they can sure have pleasure. 
We've done this. And we've done it in our own church. Catholics and Christians alike. Because we've embraced the lie of the devil that says sex is only about pleasure. All of it. All of it comes to breaking apart the sexual integrity of the integrity of the sexual act. Because once the dignity of life is no longer an integral part of the act, then anything and everything is allowed. One of the great, you guys have seen Nefarious? One of the greatest lines in that movie. There's a lot of great lines in that movie. But one of the greatest lines in that movie is when the psychologist, Dr. James Martin, is arguing with the possessed demonic man, Edward, and he's telling him all the good that they've achieved since they threw off the shackles and restraints of religion. I want to quote it for you. He says, Oh, we've never been more free. Literacy is at an all-time high. We're working to eliminate racism, intolerance, gender inequality. People can love whom they want, be who they want, and do what they want. Diversity is no longer a dream. Hate speech is no longer tolerated. And politically, we're reclaiming the moral high ground. And the demon just looks at him and smiles. And he says, James, the average high school graduate reads at a sixth grade level. Your basketball player is making $30 million a year, decrying racism, all the while wearing sneakers made from slave, slave labor. And here's something for you. Right now, James, your world currently has 40 million slaves. More than the Romans had at the height of their empire. And you know what the best part is, James? The best part is half. Half of those slaves are sexual slaves. And as for hate speech, you want to hear some irony? We didn't even come up with that one. You did it all by yourself. You even amaze us sometimes. Now there's evil everywhere and no one cares. And we did it slowly, James. We did it through your movies, your TV, and your media. We desensitized you, redirected your worldview to the point that you can't recognize evil when it's right in front of your face. More to the point, you can't even feel it when you're doing it. The Creator creates and we destroy. And we do it all through you. We always have. My God. When are we going to wake up to this? When are we going to push these things of the world out of our lives, out of our families, out of our kids' hands, and fight back? Because we're losing the war. In fact, most of us are at times joining the enemy's side. And I'm sure some of you are sitting back and like, oh, Father, you just don't get it. You're not married. You don't understand what we go through. Keep rationalizing it. Because that's the problem. That thought process right there, that's the problem. And we've been giving into it for decades. Jesus, help us to fight back. And do it through us. Through our families. So at the end of time, when you return, we may not be burned up with the weeds of the evil one, but we might shine like the sun in the kingdom of your Father. And what Jesus says in the gospel today, I say to you, whoever has ears ought to hear. And when you hear it, you ought to change.